0: Hi, I'm Rob Shank. Welcome to Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, a podcast all about the life, times, and interests of this remarkable World War II-era church figure in Germany. A young leader with courage, with moral courage, moral philosopher, ethicist, brilliant theologian, And most of us know him as a martyr. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was so much more than that. What he left us before his untimely execution in 1945 at age 39 was a body of literature that I depend on and many, many, many others uh, over the decades uh, since uh, they were first published. Uh, to help us really get a vector on the questions, the big questions, of right and wrong, of good and evil, of responsible action uh, in the face of those challenges. Uh, But more than anything else, Bonhoeffer summarized it by saying the central question is who is Christ for us today? And when we put that in the context of a great ethical, moral question, uh, it really helps us to uh, to calibrate our compass. And uh, that's why today's conversation uh, with my guest, uh, who uh, is uh, an authority on uh, moral questions as a moral philosopher and professor uh, of uh, ethics. Uh, Dr. Mike Austin is my guest, and Mike is a good friend. Uh, More than that, Mike, uh, I'd like to say more than a friend, because you are also a senior fellow (laughs) of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, the sponsor of this podcast, so you're in the family. That's right. You're a family member (laughs) more than a friend. But you've also made a wonderful contribution to a question. The Church, every Christian, certainly anyone who cares about morality and ethics has to ask, and that is the question of armed personal defense or offense, depending on the circumstances, Uh, guns. And I know uh, because i saw it before uh, a lot of people did that you've finished a manuscript that's about to be published as a book God and Guns in America by Mike Austin uh, will be published by the venerable evangelical publishing house Erdman's i don't know if they do exclusively evangelical no
1: they're more broad than that but yeah. a good evangelical yeah. element but christian catalog but yeah certainly
0: Christian publisher. That's right. Uh, So, congratulations on that contract. It's not easy to get published by (laughs) evidence. And they came looking for you, I learned today for the first time. They were hunting you as an author. You didn't have to pitch them, which is the dream of every author that the publisher comes. But let's talk about, before we get to God and guns in America, and why you frame it as you do uh, in your book. I like our our folks to get to know uh, you a little bit, uh, any guests that I have on the show. So, what's your story? I know you probably weren't born a moral philosopher.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I grew up actually in Kansas City. Um, and even, but he, actually, even as a kid, I mean, I was interested in ethical and moral questions. I remember spending the night at a friend's house, and I started engaging his dad about. Some of the AWACS planes in Israel, this is back in the 70s. And, um, anyway, so I've always been interested in sort of political and ethical issues. Uh, in college, I was a political science undergrad, but the classes I really liked the most were the philosophy classes and the ethics ones. So I was out of school a little bit and then went back for, to go to grad school and work in moral philosophy. And was fortunate enough to actually get a job uh, at Eastern Kentucky University, where I've been 15 years now. Um, have one wife, three daughters. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So you know that's been great. They're, we're empty nesters right now. So our youngest daughter just she's a sophomore in college.
0: So another we've been, congrats. Yeah, it's that's a, right. I mean it's a it's a lonely life experience, but it's a big marker. Yeah,
1: that's right. So it's it's been good because they're still close enough we can see them, but. Yeah, it's a strange transition. But so far, it's kind of nice, a little quieter around
0: the house. <laughs> was your home growing up uh, a religious home, a Christian home? Yeah, I
1: grew up in a Roman Catholic home, and so that was taken seriously in our house. Went to Mass every Sunday. Did the, didn't the did go to Catholic school, went to public school. But um, so always, yeah, Christianity was always an important element of my upbringing. And then I probably did, I didn't really get serious about like coming to faith in Christ in a more in a fuller way until my senior year of high school. Um, and that's when I started to really
0: And in what circumstance?
1: It. You know, it's funny, a friend of mine I'd known since first grade, we were on the same cross country team. And as we were out, I still remember out running on the like a six mile run, one after hot, sunny Kansas afternoon, probably in July or August. And he just started engaging me in questions about uh, who Christ was and religious faith. And it was through the Ministry of Young Life uh, in Kansas City that I got really started thinking about it more deeply in a, in a personal way, not just a sort of a family identity, but more of a personal, you know, what do I believe and why?
0: Um, and how would you identify religiously now?
1: Yeah, I, would, I mean, evangelical, um, I want to say classic evangelical, just in the sense of, especially these days, because that term has so many different connotations with people. So I identify with the faith of a, so the evangelical tradition of a John Stott, or even Harriet Tubman, William Wilberforce, sort of that. I never really liked the separation of, like, the personal gospel and the social gospel. I thought the gospel encompasses all of life, Um, so for me to be evangelical means that's good news for the afterlife and the new heavens and new earth, but it's supposed to be good news for now. you know, that, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we, have a, we would have a just state, not a Christian state. But yeah, so really, for me, it's an all of life, all of the world kind of thing, this loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and the Christian life is trying to embody that, slowly
0: <laughs> improving <laughs> over the years. But. And it seems you approach the book with that, uh, from, from that framework, from that uh, perspective. So, maybe talk a little bit about uh, taking on this subject yeah. of guns and uh, gun use and gun ownership uh, and then all of the other attendant questions that go with that. What, what, what made you decide to take this on? Had you been treating it in any of your classes at the university?
1: No, I hadn't. and actually this semester is the first time I'm going to teach on it. Um, I finally incorporated it into my classes. We've had discussions in classes about it a little bit, but yeah, I I was trying to remember the first time, as one of the things I do as a philosopher and I'm thinking about writing is just something, a view attracts me and I wanna sort of defend it or explore it, or I hear a bad argument and I think, well, that can't be right. And then I look into it and I think I just heard some bad arguments about guns and really on both sides. But I thought, well, I'm interested in this. And then when I started doing some reading, at that time, four or five years ago, hardly any, there weren't really any Christian books treating the issue uh, in any, especially in any deep way. And even books in Christian ethics, you could count on one hand the ones that had a, a chapter or even just a few paragraphs, right? So Christians weren't really engaging this issue. If they were, it was kind of in a superficial way. And so I thought, there's a need here, I'm interested in it. And so I started just looking at Scripture, theological, um, sort of theological foundations of views about violence and guns in particular, and really got drawn into, you know, well, what what should I believe here and why?
0: I don't want to catch you unprepared here. I have a feeling you've been preparing for this conversation (laughs) for uh, your whole career, so (laughs) maybe it's impossible to catch you off guard. But you mentioned bad arguments on both mm-hmm. sides. Can you offer an example of what, first of all, what is a bad argument mm, yeah. in this context? And then what would be an example of bad arguments on both sides? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think like art for in philosophy, theology, biblical studies, arguments are, you know, it's not like the argument you have with your roommate or your spouse, right? These are like, you have a conclusion and you give reasons in support of it. And for me, so a bad argument is one, either that the conclusion doesn't follow from the premises you give for it, right? So there's, even if the premises might, even the statements might be true, but they don't really support the conclusion. Or in other cases, you know, a bad argument might be a, include a fallacy or a flaw in reasoning, right? So the logical structure of the argument is bad. So for example, um, I'm trying to think on both sides. I think one, like some people in our culture, want to say, for example, the NRA is to blame for the situation with guns in America and, and cast all the blame on them. So I, I think that's a, an overgeneralization. Um, I think for sure the NRA has a role to play in some of the negative things that have happened given uh, people's views and money and politics. But at the end of the day, you know we are the ones that are to blame, right? We're the ones that decide what we believe, what kind of society we're going to build. And so that's one example where it's easy to, we want to cast blame on some, whatever side we're on in the issue, this debate, we kind of want to make them the problem. And I want to say, yeah, there are morally difficult, morally problematic things about the NRA. There's some morally difficult issues with the other extreme of pacifism. And so we all have our issues. Um,
0: what might be, not to keep pressing no, you okay. on it, but uh, I can just hear some some folks upset that they didn't get, their uh points on their side but what's a bad argument uh for example um on the pro-gun or pro second amendment or pro Mm. unrestricted second amendment rights for example
1: yeah so the the classic one that you still hear them say the only thing that the only thing or the best thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun and so first of all that's just empirically false right you can so many examples of people diffusing situations where somebody is armed and they did it either verbally, you know, there was several years ago in Atlanta, I can't remember his name, but someone had was guilty, he, uh, shot a couple people in a courtroom and fled. He ended up um, taking a woman captive and being in her apartment and she ended up, he, ended, he gave himself up, but she was reading to him passages of the Bible and the purpose-driven life. And she was through that conversation she was able to engage him in a deeper way. She, she was able to escape. And um, more recently, you know, there was a, a Waffle House, I think Which it was.
0: incidentally, I just may bring up because yeah. it started in a courtroom. There were That's armed right. bailiffs there, yeah, armed officers. So the good guys with the guns didn't stop the bad guy with the gun, but the woman without a gun stopped the bad guy with the That's gun. That's right. Yeah. So,
1: more effective than large numbers of trained officers that were there. That's right. Um, so there are just plenty of cases when you actually start doing the research of people diffusing situations with violence where somebody's armed without themselves having a gun. Now I'm not saying that's always going to work. Of course, that's not true. But, but right, the NRA claim is the only way, I mean, you hear it, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is with a, is a good guy with a gun. That doesn't work. Plus, there's an assumption there that there are these all these good guys with guns out there that we we'll use it only appropriately and skillfully and all those sorts of things that are built into that, that that's not always true either, right? So so that's one um, on that side that I think, yeah, is just clearly not true.
0: Well, that's why I think your, your book w- will fill a, a vacuum in so many ways. But one is just to help people who are concerned about the ethical dimensions of gun ownership and use of Second Amendment protections, claims, whatever they are, rights. Uh, You give us a nice, good framework for thinking through these things, and not just thinking through them. I would like to, because of the way you approach your subject, I think that I would hope people would prayerfully reflect on and think through this question. So how do you frame it up in God and Guns in America?
1: Yeah, so I I think we want to approach it first and foremost as what should a follower of Christ believe and do, and how should we approach this area of life? Because I think we're often influenced positively and negatively by by our culture that we're in. And so I frame it in the way of if the point of the Christian life, it's not just to be forgiven, but it's to become more like Christ and be you know, sort of ambassadors of Christ for good in the world, that should inform our views about guns. And so I think historically, you know, the two main Christian traditions about violence are pacifism on one end and then just war theory on the other. And really, I'm not a pacifist, but I, I think we we tend to go too quickly to violence in our society. We think, well, look, human beings are fallen. I need a gun to protect myself and my family. And I am i think that there is a right for that. I think there's a moral right So set aside the Second Amendment, just ethically speaking, grounded in self-defense. But, of course, with rights come responsibilities. And I think the problem in our culture is many in the pro-Second Amendment movement, the really strong gun rights element in our society, so focused on rights, and you don't hear a lot of talk about responsibility. Um, and so part of what I want to do in this book is not just that sort of philosophical or legal question, but the moral question from a Christian perspective. You know, what's the role of violence in the Christian life, if any? Um, what kind of questions should I ask myself? If I'm going to carry a gun throughout the day, am I really ready to kill somebody? And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my heart, my character? And those are difficult questions that I think we, we need to wrestle with. And so I approach it from the sense of, here's who Christ is, who does Christ want me to be, what are the virtues I should have as a follower of Jesus? And then let those things inform my, my answers to the gun question.
0: And incidentally, I'll just mention, having read your manuscript uh, early, and full disclosure, I wrote the preface at your invitation. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And your publishers at Erdman's. I was honored uh, to do that. I realize most people skip a preface and go right to the <laughs> guts of the thing, which they should, especially in this case. Um, but in reading the book, you know, one thing I want to say uh, to everyone uh, is you have real depth in this presentation. I mean, you take your subject very seriously and explore it as a scholar would, and yet you don't bore us in That's the good. process. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, folks, this, uh, Mike's book is not an academic tome. Uh, This is a good read. It's it's an enjoyable read, and you use plenty of stories and illustrations to help us along, but it's anything but superficial. I mean, you treat your subject comprehensively, and uh, so give us an idea of just some of the elements of of the book, Uh, what's in there.
1: Yeah, good. So yeah, that was the idea that I wanted to have substance, but I wanted it to be a book that normal people could read, right? Not just academics. And I do the academic stuff. I think that's important. But but yes, yeah, so the book starts off with an overview, brief history of guns in America and a little bit about the Second Amendment. I think one interesting thing to note is that really wasn't until 2008, for example, that the Supreme Court ruled that the Second Amendment meant that there was an individual right to own a gun for self-defense. It had historically been uh, interpreted as a collective right, right? And within the militias in the community. But regardless of that, I'm not not a legal or constitutional expert. So I just kind of summarize views about that and then move forward. Um, Because right now, according to the Supreme Court, there is an individual right. So granted that that's the law, then I move on to what does that mean for Christians, right? And so we want to look not just to the law, but to, to scripture and to the character of Christ. So I move into some questions about Violence in the gospel and what that means for believers. Um, what what should our attitude be towards violence? Is it ever permissible? If so, when? So I really draw, I draw from just war tradition, but I I, I stake out a position called peace building, which in many ways is consistent with the historical just war tradition. But, it, but I'm trying to recapture that the essence of that tradition was to prevent violence, not to justify it after the fact, but to act as a check on the impulse, not just to go to war but to use violence in personal life as well. So I, lo- I look at, there's a chapter about bad arguments on both sides. So there's maybe 10 or 11, um, you know, bad arguments kind of like the bad guy with a gun and good guy with a gun. Um, do guns make us free? Um, that the pro- it's not a gun problem, it's a heart problem or a sin problem. So I address all, a lot of those kind of questions. There is the myth as well, that violence is, is going up in America. Overall violence has gone down in the past 30 years although gun violence has increased. So I try to look at some of those, just lay of the land. And then I go more into depth, a couple chapters, one where I just look at some of the key scriptures, uh, passages of the Bible that people use to justify uh, their views about guns and go into real depth with those. And so I'm trying to take those scriptures at their own, on their own terms, which of course is difficult to do, 2100 years later, roughly, but But I think that's important to think through the different interpretations. And I I do make an argument that people are often misusing the scriptures, really on both sides, but primarily in our culture right now, scriptures tend to get misused more in defense of the status quo with guns. And so I'm trying to argue that even though there is a a legal and a moral right to use a gun for self-defense and even recreation, that the status quo, we don't have to accept it. We can reduce gun violence while protecting people's rights to own and use guns. Um, so I look a lot at scripture. I spend a chapter looking at the impact of guns on character. You know, it's interesting when you look at that, the way that both from psycho- psychological perspective and then also from a, a moral perspective, the way that using a firearm or training oneself to use a gun in certain ways can can undermine uh, our capacity for empathy. And psychologists will tell us that empathy is its a key thing in you know, as a check on aggression, right? One reason we're less aggressive than we would otherwise be is this human, I would say it's because we're made in God's image, we have this capacity for empathy, um, all of us, not just Christians, but anybody. And then um, thinking about the virtues of Christ, compassion, courage, love, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And what does that mean in gun violence? Um, can Can I be willing to kill a neighbor and also in the same breath say, I'm loving them as I love myself. And so I try to trace out some of those issues. And then the last chapter is more the the sort of legal and political, but also moral proposals for what we should do. I think there are some policies that we can do. We're not going to eradicate gun violence completely because of the world we're in necessarily, but we can reduce gun violence and even significantly. So universal background checks, what are called red flag laws or extreme risk protection orders or some things. But at a more fundamental level, I'm calling on Christians especially to do what they can to foster spiritual and moral formation in the church and then contributing to good communities so that that we have the kind of communities where people are looking out for each other. They don't feel like they need a gun to protect themselves because they've got their neighbors or they don't need a gun necessarily uh, because a lot of the things that that are contributing to violence in our society maybe we're starting to get rid of some of those causes or at least mitigate them uh, by forming a better just and safer society. So that's the two or three minute overview of a couple of years of work, but um.
0: I'm, I'm always explaining uh, to folks who are listening. If you're hearing the helicopter in the background, <laughs> it's not because the private transportation has arrived for Dr. Austin. <laughs> yeah, right. Erdman do, doesn't do that for their <laughs> authors. Uh, it's because we're in a car uh, <laughs> chatting here. It's, uh, I call it my mobile studio, but it actually makes for a very good one uh, acoustically. So, uh, but we did have a helicopter. Fly overhead. I I told them to try to reschedule that, but uh, they they went on their original flight. Anyway, uh, if you heard it, you heard it. Um, Well, in the end, Mike, what do you hope will happen as a result of publishing this book? Mm -hmm. Maybe for the individual who reads it, maybe for the community that studies it together, whether that's a home group in a church or a Sunday school class or a reading a society or, Mm -hmm. you know, some other group that may take it on. And I would encourage you to do that. Maybe if you have a chapter of an organization that deals with this question on either side uh, of it, uh, this would make a great study tool uh, and a discussion starter. But what's your hope?
1: Yeah. My hope is a couple things. My hope is that the, for someone who doesn't come at these things from a Christian perspective, I think there would still be a lot of value in the book because some of it's just addressing the culture. So some of these bad arguments are just arguments out there in the culture that people on both sides of the issue, regardless of their religious commitments or, or lack thereof. Um, so I want people to think more deeply about it. And and I, if someone that's not, doesn't have any Christian faith commitments to see, well, here's a, a Christian account or a Christian perspective on these questions that it really, it's it's not it's not a pacifist perspective but it's not sort of a status quo with guns either I'm trying to challenge that and so people within the church I would like them to just try to think about this like we should think about all of life right from in a Christian manner Um, I'm not pretending I'm the be-all and end-all authority on thinking about things from a Christian manner but I've I've tried hard to be fair to make my case and really ground it in study of Scripture Theology and philosophy, and so what I want, pe- what I would like the book to do, is to provide some ground where people can have conversations about these issues in ways that are less polarizing. Um, I would like it to to help people in the church. I'd like it to help anybody who reads it think below, at a deeper level than just sound bites or slogans, but think think it from a moral perspective. Uh, in this case, informed by the Christian faith. What, sh- what is the proper place, if any, of violence? And more specifically, what what can we do about guns? What's the impact on us? Should we change the laws or the things we can do to reduce gun violence? What should we be prepared to do as believers? You know, would when Christ said, all who, par- who live by the sword will die by the sword, what does that mean for us today? Some of those difficult questions. And so I would just love people to actually think through it in a deeper way. And, and regardless of at the end of the day, if, if they agree with me or not, at least they'll have looked at some of the substantial issues that are undergirding this stuff and really have a more thoughtful, well-informed view of their own.
0: Well, uh, having read it, I think you stand a good chance of uh, seeing some of those hopes realized. I'll say that my hope for the book is quite a bit more modest. I just hope people will read it. Just read God and Guns in America by Mike Austin, published by Erdmonds, uh, to be released May 12th. That's right. To be released May 12th, you can get it now at Amazon. When you do, please make it Amazon Smile. And of course, choose the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute as your designated charity. And that way you'll help not only uh, get good material like Mike's into circulation, you'll help the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. So Mike, thanks. Thanks for talking to us about God and Guns in America, thanks for your association with the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. And uh, now let's watch what those seeds uh, that you're planting through this good work, uh, how they blossom.
1: Yes, that sounds good, thank you very much. Uh